to understand how you express yourself, I need to understand your mind. And that is why this morning we want to examine the mind of Christ, right? That is not the title of the sermon, but you can put that down. The mind of Christ. We want to understand why do or why did Christ did some things that are unconventional, right? So things that we call unconventional, things that a normal human, you know, a normal natural man would not do, right? A natural man would not gravitate towards. Why? Yet, this is the kind of mind that Christ is saying that we must cultivate. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Starting from verse 5. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The next verse. So who being in form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Hold on. Now, this is the natural man. A natural man's mind is to be equal with God. A natural man's mind is to take decision like God. A natural man's mind is to gravitate being his own Lord, right? So, he said, but Christ, who being in form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The next verse. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So he, he did what? He made himself of no reputation. So a natural man, you as a person, before you even came to believe, uh, to believe in Christ, you were always guiding your reputation, right? You were always guiding your reputation. I don't want people to see me as a bad person. I don't want people to see me as immoral. I don't want to people to... So that I can be what's accepted in the society. That is the natural man. So the natural man protects his reputation, seek to be like God, so that he can be accepted by the society. Is that not what the society promotes today? That is what the society promotes. But the scripture says that Christ made himself of no reputation. Right? So being found is God himself yet he made himself of no reputation did not make himself as God but he did what? He took upon the form of a servant and was made what? In the likeness of men. So, next scripture. Next verse. He said, I'm being found in the fashion as man he humbled himself. Humility is what we don't find in communities today. That's another, that's another mind of Christ. We're going to examine it. We have a case study today that we will go through together. We'll go through this case examine it and try to see how did why did Christ act in such a manner such an unconventional manner right so he said he humbled himself so today we discover that nobody wants to be humble right everybody wants to be you are proud you have you know pride you want to be at the top of your game because you see yourself as God and you want to have the best reputation and we do it through different means through our social media through our careers through what you pursue to our bank accounts, and we are not humble, right? But the scripture is saying that this is the mind that you as a believer must have. He said, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death and became obedient unto death, even death of the cross. Now, death of the cross is the cross, is, is the death that emphasize someone who is condemned by the society, right? So if you see the people that is like giving it's like giving a death penalty today. You know, for you to get a death penalty, you must have committed a very grievous offense. 
Right? So that was the death penalty. And death on the cross is for someone who has been cursed. Right? Someone who has been accursed. And he said he humbled himself. The next scripture. Wherefore God had highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name. So he expressed humility, right? He has a mind that does not equate himself as God. He has a mind that is humble. He has a mind that tries not to keep reputation for himself. Hallelujah. Now this is the mind that we want to learn about today. From one of the things Christ did that I looked at it and I said this is unconventional. But this is the kingdom mindset. This mindset is the kingdom mindset. Now the title of the sermon is The Blessed Attitude. The Blessed Attitude. Because it is your mind, the fullness of it, that will produce the attitude you have. Now when you have grief towards someone, right? You have a friend and the person is giving you attitude. What you do is you try to approach them and try to know what, what is in their mind. Tell me, tell me what's, your, tell me what's on your mind. The person is coming across you and is giving you, giving you, you are seeing the attitude, right? But you can't understand the attitude until you dive into the person's mind, right? The mind is a powerful tool, it's a powerful center, it's a place where the manifestation of men is being shaped. That's why the Bible says you guide your hearts with all diligence because out of it, Hallelujah. So we want to understand the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? Because the mind of Christ will help me to cultivate a blessed attitude. It means that if I have a mind of Christ, right, it will enable me to do what? To cultivate a blessed attitude. That I will be humble and I don't, need, I don't have a reputation to protect. Right? That I won't count myself as God in every decision I make. Right? That I won't see myself as the Lord of all. I will welcome godly counsel. I will welcome godly instruction. I will welcome wisdom from God. So a blessed, the mind of Christ helps you to cultivate a blessed attitude. Right? So when you have the mind of Christ, what we see is an attitude that can bless people. That bless people around you, that bless nations all around you. Now let's go to our key scripture. Philippians 1, Philippians 2 is just the preamble, just to lay a foundation of what we want to teach. Now our key scripture is Matthew chapter 4, just like it has been read in the, in, in the scripture reading. Matthew chapter 4 verse 12 to 25. I'm sure we'll not be able to take Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, but we'll take it subsequently. Now, we will focus on something that happened here and we will learn the attitude of Christ. Now, I want you to quickly think about slums. Do you know where slums are? Do you know what slums are? Shanty towns. So think about slums in your country. You're from Nigeria, you're from Rwanda, you're from Liberia, wherever. Think about slums. You know their names, right? So you know those slums. You know what happened in slums, right? So we're on the same page. You know what shanty towns are, right? Now, I did a little bit of research. And I try to get some slums that will probably go a, lot, a little bit around, not so much. Now, um, in Syria alone, if, if I'm wrong, you can tell me after the service, but not now. There's a Susan Bay that is a slum, right? In Freetown. So I did a research about slums. And I said there's a place called Susan Bay. And I tried to look at a picture. And it was quite horrific. So we have Susan Bay. 
having a very beautiful name, Susan Bay, but yet a slum. You know, interesting places. So I, I tried again and I moved towards, you know, Liberia and I tried to check and they call the place West Point. Like very interesting, West, I'm right, right? So there's a place called West Point in Liberia that is a slum, right? I'm trying to bring you so that you can understand where I'm going. I'm going somewhere with this, so follow me. So West Point is a very interesting slum. They all giggle and you can tell, you know, it's a really good, you know, slum, an example of slum. Now, West Point, very interesting name. You probably think it's in the United States, but actually it's a slum in Liberia, right? In Morovia. Am I correct? All right, good. Now, I, I, I came back home and I came very, very close to myself and I came to Lagos and I found Ajegunle. Now, Ajegunle is a place where wealth is established. That's the meaning of Ajegunle, where sales is established. It means a place of prosperity when you come to markets. It's Aje, like it's a, it's a uh, sales, more or less, like profit is established there. But yet, it's quite a, it's a big slum. Like it's a slum that is a national slum. Like everybody knows it. Now, now there's another slum in, in Lagos that they call Makoko. Now, this slum is a slum. If you want to shine your shine, if you want to be a global person, just go there, do one or two community services, and you'll be a global person. Because the slum is so terrible. There's space for investment there. There's a lot of space. Now, I tried to go to Abuja. I don't know so much about Abuja, but I discovered that among the development places there, you find slums inside development places development areas, you find beautiful places and I saw a place called Jabi Slum and Jabi Village and you see slums there. Are we together? And these slums they exist. Now so what are their characteristics? You have poverty, you have low education you have you know lack of access to uh, infrastructure you have several things. You have crime rates right? Petty crime rates and different things. Poor sanitation and now I want to ask you a question. Knowing all the characteristics, all the profile of a slum, now, the candidates of your presidency, the presidential candidate in your country, is coming from this slum. And is picking cabinets from this slum where people have low education, where people have poor sanitation, where people barely eat three square meals. Now I'm asking you a question. Will you like to give him a trial? Is any of you willing to give your presidential candidate who is coming from that slum, building his cabinet on that slum, are you willing to give him a trial? Why? Now this is where I'm going. Yes, for many reasons, right? Yet, this is an amazing thing that Jesus did. This is what Jesus did. To come from a place of such and build a cabinet around that place. Now, Capernaum is a home for Jesus, right? They don't call it the hometown of Jesus, right? They don't call it the hometown of Jesus because they agree that Nazareth is the hometown of Jesus, right? All those places, we need to understand them. When we understand them, you would be able to know what I'm saying. So, it's like we have Galilee, a region. You have Nazareth, Pastor Victor, you can tell me after the service if I'm correct. I've never been to Israel, but this is the little study I did so that we can learn. Now, you have Galilee and you have Nazareth, you have Capernaum, you have Chorazin, you have all those cities in Galilee. Now, it is the same city, 
we are going to see how the scripture described the city. The scripture described it as a terrible, you know, this, this, the illustration shows how hopeless that place is. Right? So Jesus came from Nazareth and wanted to start his ministry and he went to Capernaum. And Capernaum is like an example of all the slums we have thought of. That is where Jesus said, I'm going to start my ministry. And you guys know that your ministry in Africa, if it's not in Abuja or in Lagos, you have not started. This is an unconventional wisdom. So we need to learn from it. We need to know what mind would make Christ not start from Jerusalem and Judea, but will go to the upper north and go to a slum or a place where the scriptures describe as a place of darkness, right? And start his ministry. So it means that there's a way we are doing Christianity today that needs to be adjusted. Are we together? There's a way we are doing ministry today that needs to be corrected. That we need to go into the interiors. But if you don't understand the mind of Christ, you can do it. It means that your attitude will still be the conventional attitude. Now Jesus is your presidential candidate in quotes. And he's creating his cabinet because you discover that this is the region where he took his disciples, right? And after we read that scripture from, from, from verse 18, Matthew 14, it said, while walking by the sea, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew's brother, casting their net, casting their net into the sea, for they were what? Fishermen. So there's a river beside it. So when we're talking about the description of Capernaum, we're going to go there. So Jesus speaks his disciple here. So my question is, why would they do that? Jerusalem is a very good place to start. Because first you have popular votes in Jerusalem. In Capernaum, it's so unpopular that even Isaiah, when we go to the scripture, Isaiah far back called it a place of darkness. The people living there are in darkness. So why? Having said that, please, my time, I need to be saying it, please. Having said that, I would like to now ask us, for us to understand the mind of Christ, we need to understand Capernaum as well, right? So, for us to understand why Jesus went to Capernaum, why is Capernaum so, you know, why is it what we are studying today? Alright, let's go to Mark. Mark. Mark chapter 2. So, it means that if Christ was existing in this generation, he wouldn't get our votes. Because we don't understand his mind. Now, Mark chapter 2, verse 1 says, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Did you see the word? At home. It means that he now lives in Capernaum. His home is in Capernaum. Right? You see? And, there were may, and many were gathered together so that there was no room, no more room, not even at the door. So they visited him in his house in Capernaum, right? That established the fact that that place is his abode. He has left Nazareth. Good. All right, so if you read the same Mark, chapter 3, verse 7. Now read. It said, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, right? So he withdrew to the sea. He withdrew with his disciples to the sea. So we're going to talk about the lake of Tiberias, which is the sea of Galilee, right? The sea on that, on that region. Again, uh, like us to still on Mark. 
Like I think those, those two scriptures are sufficient enough for us to understand. Okay, we can go to Mark chapter 9. Chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 again. And it said, and they came. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. 33, please. He said, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? So his house was actually in where? Capernaum. So it means that the headquarters of Jesus' ministry was not in Jerusalem, right? People had to come from Jerusalem and Judea to hear him. So what is Capernaum? Where is it? Why is it so special in today's sermon? So just the explanation again, Galilee is the region, right? Galilee is the region. You have Zebulon, you have Nephtali, and you have Capernaum then. All right, so what are the characteristics of this place? Let's go to Mark, Matthew chapter 4. Let's go back to our key scripture. And we'll begin to pick it one after the other to understand what Capernaum is. Give me from verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, right? So he left Nazareth. You're going to read it in Mark or subsequently that he was actually rejected in Nazareth. And he came to Capernaum. Now he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the seaside in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. I like this. He came to Capernaum. So the first characteristic of Capernaum, write it down, is that Capernaum is located by the seaside. It has a meaning. Capernaum is located by the seaside. Now, that has a significant effect because the expectations of a country that is located by the seaside is what? It's prosperity. Is what? Prosperity. Fruitfulness, right? You have access to trade. You have access to commerce. You have access to all forms of productivity, right? So the first characteristic of Capernaum, we're going to check about four of them. And after we check four of them, we'll see why Jesus decided to choose this place and why that will influence your decision as a person. How you live your life. Right? So we see freshness. Psalm 1. Can someone go to Psalm 1? Media team quickly. Psalm 1. So what is the expectation? What is the expectation? Pastor Costin actually went already, you know, to this part of my teaching. And I really thank him for that. So it will be very easy for me to explain. Psalm 1. It's a blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Next, but it's the, it's the light is the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The next, it shall be like a tree, this is where we are going, planted by the rivers of water that bring forth. So, first characteristics of a city that is planted by the rivers of water is that what it brings forth what fruit in a season, right? So, our expectation now coming to his companion is to expect that it will bring fruit, right? It should bring fruit. The next. Uh, sorry, go back to verse 3. Go back. It brings forth forth in a season, and his leaf shall not wither. So we see freshness. Are we together? We see freshness. If you, are, if, you are, if you are beside the rivers of water, you can get water for irrigation. You can, you know, have a lot of agricultural production. And a lot of things are happening in that environment. And whatever it does shall what? Prosper. This is prosperity. So now your expectation for a city, or yeah, a city like Capernaum, is actually very close to the lake of Tiberias, close to the sea, and your expectation is that it should prosper, right? 
So in my notes, let me write what I let me read what I wrote here, right? Just like you know, uh, imagine yourself being connected to Elon Musk. Pastor Costner already started with that. He said something that if you are connected with connected with Putin at this point of the time, whatever affects him does what affects you, right? So it means that if you're getting sanctioned, you get sanctioned. Now, just like he said, think of being connected to the owner of the school. Think of being connected to the cream de la cream of this world, right? So what does it mean? It means that you, you should, we expect you to have access to the resources. Now, if you have a, you know, a professor, maybe uh, Pastor Chidi now is now connected to the owner of the school. We expect that, you know, as NECF, we should have a new building, not just a hall, but a new building that is able to hold us as a church. Is that not our expectation? Right? That's your expectation. That's your, that is the normal. Now, you have a family member that owns an estate. You know, you expect that at all, at all, you will get something. Right? That is the expect, And that is where Capanio means. Like, that is just the nature of this environment. So, it's so close to resources. So, you can write. The, the, the meaning being close to the sea means that it is close to resources. It is close to resources. You know, it's the same thing. Think of, think of yourself schooling in Harvard. Or bring it closer, schooling in Lagos Business School. We, ex- we have some expectations from your life that we need to see. But what if someone walks up to you and tells you that you are so miserable despite your connection? Someone walks up to you and tells you, oh, you have connection with the owner of the school, but there's nothing to show for you. You are just miserable. That means you need to call the person and ask a question because there is more. Maybe there's something you are not seeing or there's something that is not happening in your life. So this is what the city was like. Right? So we have Capernaum and it's connected to resources. Yet the scripture came back and called it what? Can you go to verse 16? Verse 16. It's that the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Now how is being connected to resources and darkness linked together? So there's a paradox here. There's a contradiction here. And contradiction might be in your life. That you come to church every Sunday, but you are so connected to the resources of God, yes, you have, you have darkness growing in your life. There can be a contradiction in your life. Now, I don't want to move too fast because I'm already moving too fast to that. So, there's a darkness. The second characteristic of Capernaum is there's darkness. There's a place of darkness, right? There's a people who sat in darkness. So people who are living there have seen darkness. So over time, there's a time in my life where, you know, I had a lot of resources to actually be a science student. Like I had a lot of resources. I had all the three physics, chemistry, biology, and I had all the textbooks. I had all the past questions, the key points, the extras to the key points, the past questions. Yet I was getting F in physics, biology, and chemistry. Like I had all the resources. And the darkness I was seeing on my result was my F. So it's possible for you to be, to have all the resources. Yet there is darkness in your life. Right? So that is what we are seeing as Capernaum. Right? It's a place where all the resources are. Now the next thing, I'll just move quickly. The next thing, or the next characteristics, right? The next characteristic is that Capernaum is a place of the shadow of death. So just go. It's a place of where the shadow of death. So you can go to the next scripture. It said, and upon those who sat in the region 
who sat in the region and shadow of death has done, right? Who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has done. Praise God. Praise God. Now, I need three people to quickly do an illustration. Um, Bracosta, are you busy there? I need someone who is very who, has, who is as tall as Bracosta because I just need a very quick illustration to do. Uh, uh, no, it's, it's not. Brother, please, can you please come? Josue is, is, is strong in the Lord. Please, brother, come. We need to understand what it means to sit in the shadow of darkness, right? Please, please come. Um, the brother, please, can you also come? Yes, please. I just need to quickly illustrate something. Because I don't know how to explain the shadow of darkness, uh, except I have people. So I just need one more person. David, you can come as well. Now, can, can you stand here? Can you stand here? So we have three characteristics of Capernaum. There's a place of resources yet. You can come and stand here. Who's going to stay here? You're going to stay here. David, you can be on stage, please. Now, just to summarize, we have a place of resources as Capernaum, and Capernaum is also a place of darkness. Now, I said the people who sat in the shadow of darkness. Now, this is what shadow of darkness means. Can you stand here? Can you Now, this is the light. Okay? This is, you will not be dead in Jesus' name. This is the spirit. Okay, we just showing an example that it represents death that reigns over people who sit in the shadow of darkness. Now, my question, this is the light. Does it mean that the light does not exist because somebody is sitting in darkness? Chorus answer. So, Jesus was actually existing. He was there with them. But that place, the people who sat there, they sat down in where? In darkness. So, it means that the light is shining even to Capernaum and to every part of the world. But because death reigned over the people who sat in that region... They needed Jesus to come into that situation. So, can you try to move around? When he moves around, please just follow him. Can you move around? Move around. Just move like, move towards the wall. Then you can turn back and come back again. Turn back. Just turn back and come back. Now, this is what they call death reigning over a people. That is what it means. It means that though they were physically alive, but death, what? Death reigned over them. So that is a very interesting characteristic of Capernaum. Of course, he had the resources, yet with darkness. It was described with darkness, yet it was described with what? It was described with death. Hallelujah. You can have your seats, but I might still need you. You can just sit somewhere here. I might still need you for some other illustrations. So you can sit around. Now, so to live in the shadow of darkness or to sit in the shadow of darkness is to actually to be comfortable in death. That is what it means, to be comfortable in death. Now, I'm going to quickly, because I don't have much time, I'm going to quickly just give us the story. Capernaum as a place, right, historically was actually a place of invasion. Okay, so the location is a place of invasion. So, if you want to invade Jerusalem, you need to follow a place. Right, so, Guinea is an example of Capernaum here. Guinea, of course, is a big city, but by the strategic location, that if you want to invade Cyprus, you have to come through, if you want to invade Lefkosha, you have to come through Guinea because Guinea has the biggest harbor, right? He has the most functional harbor. Now, that is what Capernaum was. So, he has this characteristics of being a strategic point where the Assyrians always come and dominate 
you know, Israel, the Galilee and the whole of Jerusalem. So it's an access point of evil. It's an access point of invasion. Are we getting it? Now, so we have all these characteristics. Before I go, I'll just quickly, you know, differentiate something. Psalms 23, please. Psalms 23. Psalms 23, verse, from verse 1 or verse, verse 3. I want to differentiate between someone who is sitting in the shadow of darkness, right? And someone who passes through the valley of what? Shadow of darkness. I'm going somewhere with this. Because if you don't understand why the place, how terrible, how slum the place is, you won't understand why Jesus started his ministry there. And it will not instruct you on how to live your life. So you need to understand this and it instructs you how you make decisions. Now, Psalm 23. It says, the Psalm of the Lord, the Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Next. It makes me to lie down in green pasture. So it leads me beside the still water. It restores my soul. It leads me on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yet though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. Now, this is another place. Old Testament, that the valley of the shadow of death, right? was being used. Now David said something that though I walk, it did not say though I sit. It has a meaning. Because sometimes when we teach rod and thy staff, there's a reason why that rod and the staff is there. The reason why the rod and the staff is there is because David's shadow of death is, is walking through it. So basically, can you come again? Can you guys come again? Let's quickly do this last one please. There's a reason because if you understand that, you will understand what Capernaum was. Just the same position. Now raise your hand. No, no, the other way around. Please. Just watch. Here on the ground, I'm facing. Now you're here. You're with the light, right? Now you're with the light. So once in a while, you just come here, you touch this guy, and you come back. So do it. Do it like about three times. You just look at him. Now, what David meant by walking in the shadow of death is that he exercises unbelief in certain circumstances in his life. That is what it means. It means that he's not sitting in unbelief, but I exercise unbelief in certain areas. And if you check the history of David's life, it's consistent. You will discover sometimes he fears his enemies. Do you see that? Sometimes the question, oh Lord, where are you? If you read the Psalms, you see that. You see that sometimes he walks in unrighteousness like what he did to, you know, Bathsheba, right? You see that unbelief. But he was still, God, he was still a man after what? God's own heart. You know why? Because he said, I fear no evil. This is what that place means. You can have your seat. He said, though I walk, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, though I walk in unbelief in certain situations, I am not afraid, right? I am not afraid of my mistakes. I am not afraid of my worries. I am not afraid of my fears. Why? Because you are with me. Why? Because your rod and your staff, that is where that thing came in. That your rod will instruct me, reset my factory, bring me back to factory setting and correct me and defend me. Do you get it? But that is what David meant by I walk in unbelief inside. I walk in the, instead I'm not sitting there. I just pass through. Sometimes it comes and does it not come in your life? 
does. Sometimes unbelief wants to creep in. Sometimes you are doubting many things. Sometimes you are even doubting God's promises. Sometimes the flesh wants you to go against God, to walk in unbelief. But though you walk through the valley of shadow of death, you what? You fear no evil. You are not afraid. You cannot be lost. You cannot what? You cannot be lost. If you have believed in the Father, you cannot be lost. Though you walk through the valley of shadow of death, you cannot be lost. Because the rod and his staff, they will comfort you. It means that it gives me confidence that I will not be lost. That rod will bring me back to you. That rod will defend me. That rod will correct me. That rod will, 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 will put up my fire again to believe in you. That is what it means. So something happened. Now for Capernaum people, it's not like that. What did they do? They sat in the shadow of death. It means that they were comfortable in the shadow of death. That is their normal way. They are used to it from the time of Assyria up until now. Don't sit in what? In the shadow of death. Today, if you have not believed Christ, you are sitting in what? In the shadow of death. Though you are physically alive, you're sitting in what? In the shadow. You're sitting on a time bomb. Now, so what is this thing? What, what, what are the meaning of these things, right? Why, 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 is, why is Capernaum, why is the sea? What is the symbol of the sea? Right, I'm just going to quickly rush through that and I'll be able to catch up to you. Very significant things. Now, the sea, although Capernaum has it, right? Yet, it was an unproductive area right? This is the interpretation I'm giving you. Now, you might have the breath of life. The, you might have breath, breathing. The breath that you are alive is not the same thing as Zoe. Do you get the point? That you are alive, you can breathe, is not the same thing as what? Zoe. It means that it's not the life of God. Right? Until you come to believe, that is when you have what? The life of God. So it means that you might be alive you might even think you're doing well. You might even be connected to resources. But you don't have the life of God. Except you believe. So that is a symbol of the, the, the way I understand the sea. Right? The sea is actually a resource. But even that resource is polluted. Because the source of the sea that feeds Capernaum is from the Dead Sea. And you know what they call, you know what the Dead Sea is, right? The density is so high that you can float on it. You don't need to know how to swim to float on that. So it gets a supply from the Dead Sea. So it means that death even rained on that sea. Invasion rained on that sea, right? Wickedness rained on that sea. So the same thing, the breath that you have, the life you are living, until you believe wickedness and evil will continue to reign. It means that you are vulnerable. Until you believe the breath you have makes no meaning. It's not the same as the way. So if you see somebody who is breathing, except the person has believed, you don't have the life. So that is a symbolic symbolism of, of that sea. Now, for that for darkness and death, it's simply the darkness of your sin. Of someone who has not believed in Christ, you have the darkness of sin. You have death reigning over such a person. Which is the situation there. So death reigned over them. Those that were dwelling there, they were breathing. And death continued to reign. So it means that their lives was vulnerable to attack. Now the brother that was staying here and the one that was there. He was walking about. He was not dead, right? 
is physically alive, yet death reigns over him. But his life is vulnerable to attacks. So if you have not believed in Christ, your life is vulnerable to attacks. In fact, you are in attack. Do you get the point? You are in what? You are in attack. That is just... So if you have not believed, your life is just like an exposed, you know, life that is vulnerable to the breath you have. Now, it is all these things coming together that Jesus saw and decided that Capernaum is what is the place to start the ministry. Now, Jerusalem is where the law is, you know, where the Pharisees are, where the scribes are. Jerusalem is the bubbling place, it's like the capital city, you know. Not far away from that's where the civilization is. But Jesus chose this place. Because it has a symbol for his ministry. If you are started in Jerusalem, it probably will not be that symbolic. But starting in this point, gave a symbol. So now, what are the lessons? What do we understand? And why Christ started from this? The first reason why Jesus, right now you know the characteristics of Capernaum. The first reason why Jesus did this is because Christ understood that he's from the greatest kingdom. Right? So to subdue any kingdom, you need a greater kingdom. Right? So the physical kingdom does not matter. Whether it is, you know, whether it is a deserted place, whether it's a place of hopelessness, Christ knew that Capernaum is not bringing something to me. It is me that is bringing something towards to Capernaum. So first is that Christ understood why Christ went there. He understood that he came from the greatest kingdom. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Verse 14. So despite the death, despite the darkness, despite the misery in this place, Christ chose the place. First because he knew that it was from the greatest kingdom. He said, Jesus answered them and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. Christ knew where he what? Where he came from. So I'm throwing a question to you. In your decision in life, does your identity as a believer influence you? Did you get that? Does your identity as a believer influence you? I can ask you, you come into Cyprus, did your identity as a believer influence you? You studying what you're studying, did your identity as a believer influence you? You going to where you go, attending to making friends, every decision you make, does your identity influence you? If your identity as a believer, who has believed does not influence you, then there's a confusion in your life. So we see Christ saying that, I know where I came from. I know where I am coming from. I know my kingdom. So we see that because, of, because Christ knew that he needed no political, political kingdom, a physical political kingdom, to take over that place, he could actually start his ministry there. He knew where he was coming from. He knew how powerful the kingdom he was coming from is. He knew the authority that he has in the kingdom. He knew that God 
is back in his mouth. So Christ understood. So whatever decision you make in life, it should be influenced by your identity as a believer. So it means that if you are not a believer, then darkness and death will, what, will be what will influence your decisions. So you might get cancer, but yes, because you have not believed. What influences your decision is what is evil. But Christ made us to know that this kingdom is what influences. The second thing that influences Christ's decision, the same chapter, just go to verse 12, um, John chapter 8, verse 12. He said, and again, verse 12, just move up to verse 12. He said, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have what? The light of life. It means that Jesus knew that it was the solution to Capernaum. Capernaum was not a solution for what? To Jesus. He knew that he was what? The light. He is the light that will shine the place. So I ask you a question again. When you look at people around you, when you see the crowd, when you look at the countries you choose to travel to, when you look at what you intend to study, do you think that the country is the one that will bless you or you that will be a blessing to the country? Is it the country that will be a blessing to you or you be a blessing? What we learn from Christ, the attitude of Christ here, is that he understood that the value is not in the country. The value is what? In the man. The value is in you. You are the light of the world. And that is why we extended the reading to verse 14 of chapter 5. You are the light of the world. And that is why you shine. And you cannot be kept under the basket. You know your identity. You know the kingdom you come from. Your kingdom is powerful. You know that you yourself, you are the light of the world. So it doesn't matter where you find yourself. I know if I say they should send some people to Iraq and Iran now, it's not comfortable. But the reason why this teaching is coming is to build your mind that it's not about the country. It's to have an attitude that is not about the location. It's about the fact that the value, the light is what? Is in you. Say the light is in me. I am the light of the world. I have the light of Christ in me. So when you're doing your ministry, right? Don't go for the comfort zone. Don't go for the comfort zone. Every, it's comfort zone is an easy place to dwell. Don't go for the comfort zone. Go for the zone where you can be a blessing. Where you can shine as light. So you are the light of the world. And therefore, you will make a decision as Christ makes the decision. The third one is that he came to call the lost, not the found. Right? So he came to call the lost. Now, Jerusalem and Judea are places where the, the, the righteous are, in quotes. The righteous. So it's a place where the law is, and those that keep the law live there. Those that take care of the law, they live in Jerusalem. But Jesus did not choose Jerusalem. Rather, he chose a place where he can find where he would be of a great impact. Where he will find the lost. Where he will bring people to God. So he came to call the, the sick, not the healed. He came to call the what? The sick, not the healed. And you discover that every time he's moving, he moves with the sinners. And he calls them to follow him. 
Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Let's read that. So it should change your attitude towards your decision. You should make decision as someone who is coming from the kingdom, who has a greater kingdom, who can subdue all kingdoms. You should make a decision as the light of the world. You should make a decision as someone who is out there for the ministry of reconciliation. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is what? He is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. Next. The next verse, please. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and he has given us what? The ministry of reconciliation. Now, if all that you do in life does not draw people to God, then it's a waste. Did you get the point? If all that you do in life, the business you do, the whatever you study, whatever you find yourself, whichever environment you find, it, if, if it does not draw people to Christ, it's a waste. So think about how you have wasted so many times. And now you need to begin to understand that you are called into a ministry of reconciliation. If you have believed, you are not called to sit down and watch. You are not called to stay in your comfort zone. You are called to the ministry of reconciliation. To bring people to Christ. Because Christ himself had the same mindset. Do you realize what happened when Jesus began to preach in Jerusalem? What happened? Do you know what happened there? He had the, the highest level of opposition in his ministry was from Jerusalem. Do you realize that? His highest level of opposition was in Jerusalem because that place is filled with the self-righteous people. Of course, Capernaum has their issue. They have their issue too. Yet, they did not, re they did not reject Jesus. Capernaum had their issue. We're not going to discuss that today. They had their issue. They had their unbelief issue, but they did not want to reject Jesus. Right? So Jesus just had so many oppositions in Jerusalem. So rather, he chose a place where he can be of great impact. So whatever you're studying, whatever you're doing, what should influence you is that I want to win souls for God. I want to bring people to understand that God has reconciled man to himself. Right? God has brought man, man to himself. And that is why I say that giving us the ministry of reconciliation simply means that you bring people and point them to the light. Right? So you are not the one reconciling people. Right? You are not the one reconciling. Christ has reconciled us to God. So you just come, you bring them and say, okay, this is the ministry. And you point to Christ. So we are called to point people to Christ in whatever you do. So whatever decision you make in your life, always ask yourself, is it influenced by my identity? Or it's influenced by another identity? Is it influenced by my knowledge that I come from a kingdom that is all-powerful? Is it influenced by the fact that I'm the light of the world? This is the mind of Christ. We are trying to understand what is, what is happening there. And we see that these are what is going on in his heart. He understood his kingdom. He understood that is the light of the world. Now the third one is that Christ did that for the fulfillment of the scripture. Did you get it? Christ went to Capernaum for the fulfillment of the scripture. So his decision to go there was for the fulfillment of the scripture. Now the question I'm going to ask you is, in all your life and all you do, 
in all the decisions you make, are they a fulfillment of God's promises for you? Right? So you jump into a relationship. Is that a fulfillment of God's relationship for you? For God's, God's plan for you? God's promises for you? You decide to leave a particular country. Is that what God is saying at that time? You decide to withdraw yourself from church. Is that God's plan for you? You decide to withdraw yourself from people that will be of benefit for you. Is that God's plan for you? God, Christ himself, fulfilled that, as did that as a fulfillment of the scripture that has, been, that has been written. So whatever decision you are making, you should check yourself and say, let's check the word. Is there any part of the word that this decision is based on? Because the promises of God are filled in what? In the word of God. The promises of God are filled where? Here. All his promises are here. So decisions you make, where you go, what you do, do they span from the fact that you are checking the world every day? Praise God. The last point from this part is that Jesus went there to shine upon them. He went there to shine upon them. So he said that those who sat in the shadow of darkness, they've seen what? They've seen a great light. And you would discover that it's because Jesus wanted to shine upon them. That was why he started what we call the Beatitudes today. Right? So that is the reason for chapter 5. Jesus had a plan to shine upon him. So it is not enough to know that you are the light of the world. It's not enough to know that you have an identity in Christ. Right? It is not enough to know that there is darkness and you want to, you want to move. The more that is there is that you need to take action to shine as light. So how do you shine as light? How did Jesus shine as light? Is that Jesus began to teach them. Right? Jesus began to do what? He began to teach them. So what did he see? The Bible says that, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. Because Jesus wanted to shine upon them, he began to what? To teach them. He said, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. The next verse. He said, then he opened his mouth and did what? And he taught them. That is the way to shine. Right? That is the way to shine. You have to learn to teach the word of God. The teaching of the word is not just for pastors. It's not, for, it's not just for those in Bible study scene. And another thing that we see there, if you go back to verse 1. Go to verse 1. There's a lesson I learned. They go back to chapter 1 verse 1. It's a seeing the multitudes, he went up to the mountain. Now, most of us, we have multitudes in our lives. Right? We have multitudes. But our perception towards this multitude, sometimes when you see multitude, some of you, is what you see is business. So, ah, see need. You begin to look for need. That's what they teach us in business. That when you see multitudes, people crowded, what should come to your mind is, hmm, they need something. Let me create a need. Strategic marketing. You know, strategic, you know, management to manage them and make sure that they buy your products. But that was not what Jesus was doing. When you see the multitude, what comes to your mind? What comes to your heart? Do you see souls? Do you see people that need to be taught the word? Or do you see marketing strategy? 
So one mindset that we must create from here is that he saw them and he realized that I need to shine on these people. And he began to teach them. He began to open the scriptures to them. And that is what led to the about three, three chapters. Five, six, seven. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That we call the Sermon on the Mount today. So what comes to your mind when you see people? They teach you to be a people person, yes. But what comes to your mind when you see people? Teaching the word should come to your mind. The ministry of reconciliation should come to your mind. Your identity should be reminded of your identity that you are called from a greater kingdom to call people to God. Hallelujah. Now we're just going to treat, for the next three minutes, we're just going to quickly treat one of the teachings of Jesus here, and that will just be the last part of it. Just teach one, one of the Beatitudes. Now, so Jesus began to teach them, and just like at the beginning of the teaching, I said something that Jesus did the unconventional thing, right? Did we agree on that? That Jesus did the unconventional thing, right? So he also did what? He taught them the unconventional wisdom. Jesus did what? He taught them the what? The unconventional wisdom. And the first of it is that blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So it means that if you are poor in spirit, you are blessed. We don't have much time to actually go into that because I have to explain what the blessed is. Before I will tell you what the poverty or the poor in spirit, what it really means. But what that means in summary, right, we can, exp we can explore that and the whole of the Beatitude subsequently. I had to do this because it is the preamble for teaching the disciples that beatitude. It's because Christ himself has exercised something. That is why he could teach them a, an unconventional wisdom. So he's not a master or a teacher that does not do. He does. He lives the life and he teaches it. So be, Jesus began to do and to what? To teach. Jesus began to do and to what? To teach. So he did, and that is what we have established, that he actually did. We see why he went to Capernaum, and he began to teach them that blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now the summary of this is that in all of it, knowing your identity, right, in Christ, knowing your kingdom that you come from, understanding that you have been called to the ministry of reconciliation, ready to shine as light, all of this are put in this last one that I'm saying. That you must always recognize your need for God. You must always recognize your need for God. Whether you have grown, you've read Genesis to Revelation back to back, you've taught sermons, you've taught in, you know, you've taught for 10 years of ministry, or you are just starting today. You must always recognize your need for God. So the poor in spirit is an emphasis on a needy position. It places you in a position where you are seeking God always. So to achieve all of these, you must always recognize what? Your need for God. And that is what Christ did. And all the time you see Jesus preaching, you will see the scriptures will say, He withdrew, right? He withdrew to a quiet place and He began to do what? He prayed. You must always recognize that amidst all the public appearances that we do, you need God much more 
in your quiet place. You need God much more when nobody is seeing you. Where you alone is seeing yourself and no one is watching you, you need him there. Because it's from there that every other thing can flow. It's from there that you can shine as light in the darkness of this world. Let's be on our feet as we pray. Just say, Lord Jesus, help me to shine as light. Help me to have the mind of Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, help me to have the mind of Christ. Help me to have the mind of Christ. That every of my decision, every step that I take, every move that I make will be according to the mind of Christ. That I will have a blessed attitude to go for what profits the kingdom. Just say, Lord, help me, help my life. Help my decision-making process. Help me to yield to the character of God, to the attitude of God. Help me to yield much more to you. Thank you, Jesus, because you came for the lost. You came for me. You came for the darkness of my life. Thank you because you shine. Just say, Lord, help me to shine. Help me to shine. Help me not to stay in my comfort zone. Help me not to stay in my comfort zone. Help me to shine. Help me not to take the easy way. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed.